The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. All right, we're going to be back in the book of Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 2 today. So flip your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. If you've grabbed one of the Bibles we have here in the auditorium, we're going to be on page 936. Make it super easy for you guys. But if you've got your mobile device or you brought your Bible with you, we are Romans chapter 2. We're going to be verses 12 through 16. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews, who do have God's law, will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. In the courtroom that is the book of Romans, as we get to the end of chapter 1, the kind of opening statement, he is laying out a case saying, you are all guilty before God. And he points out, gives a whole list of indictments, like you can see him on a media presentation or file folders just that slam down on the desk there in the courtroom. Wickedness, boom, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, gossip. He says, you guys are so good at being, at sinning, you're you're making up new ones to do. He says, the worst thing is this, not only do you do these things, you promote and celebrate, you're excited about it. You're going, that's right, that's the people in the the two groups of people that he's indicting uh, in Romans. The first one is people that are celebrating what's wrong in the world, going, that's right, we don't care, we do what we want, nobody can tell us what to do. Then people like us, or like a lot of us, that come to church on a Sunday morning, look at that go, that's terrible, you're right, see, that's evil, that's awful. We think, that's man, that's terrible, people should stop doing that. God's right to be to be angry against all that sin that's out there in the world. Chapter 2 opens up. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, and you have, write it down, well, you don't have to write it down, it's the heading of the thing on your note sheet, no excuse. When you say, they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things, and we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. He's going to tell us here that we, we look at the world out there and go, oh, that's so disgusting. And, and, you're going to, and it's weird. He says, look, the world out there might have an excuse because they don't have anything. They, don't have a, they don't, didn't go to church. They weren't raised in a Christian. They just do what they want whenever they want. They have no standard. He said, you guys are going, when you say that's evil and that should be stopped, you're saying there's a standard out there we should live up to. And he says, the fact is, you who are promoting the standard don't even live up to it yourselves, which makes it worse because you have no excuse. A guy named John Stott, a famous pastor from England, uh, actually, and N.T. Wright, uh, a famous pastor from England, wrote this up in some of their work on Romans. I want to just read it for you. He says this, we work ourselves up into a state of self-righteous indignation over the disgraceful behavior of other people, while the very same behavior seems not so nearly serious when it's ours rather than theirs. 
we even gain a bizarre satisfaction from condemning in others the very faults we excuse in ourselves simultaneously to retain our sins and our self-respect. It is a convenient arrangement, but also both slick and sick. The very fact that we go, oh, that's evil and terrible, we don't live up to it, he says, you have no excuse because you actually should know better. You show up at church on a, well, some of you show up at church every couple of months. But even then, you're hearing stuff and you know stuff that's going on. Uh, And the tricky part about this is when we look at the world out there, we go, oh, that's terrible, that's evil, that's disgusting out there. God should come out for that because we look at it and we think God graves on the curve. We think over here, here's the bad, awful, terrible things over here. But that's not me. I don't do those things. My sins are respectable sins. My sins are just issues that I have. And because we think God grades in the curve, we think because I'm better than most, I'm okay. It's not going to be up on the screen, but I came up with this little line uh, this week. Just because you're better than most doesn't mean you're good with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) The Holy Ghost is God's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. doesn't mean you're good with God. So here's the thing to write down today. Don't congratulate yourself for being a good person because you might be a good person compared to everybody else, but you're not good enough, pal. Not by a long shot. Keep reading here. Verse 3. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? And we're going to skip verse 4 and come back. It's an amazing verse. We're going to take some time with it. Let's get down to verse 5. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Now, hold on a second here. We look at that and go, okay, the world up there, they're stubborn and they're refusing to turn from their sin. You know what he's talking about here? Not the world out there. He's talking about you and me. Good, decent, religious, spiritual people that are doing the right things, have a Bible on their device, come to church, join small groups. He says, you're just as bad. You have no excuse. You're, you continue in your sin. He says, the day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. He'll give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers, but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. You might want to make a note of that there, that there's a priority. It says Jews first, Gentiles second. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. He's making a case here that there's coming a day when everyone will be evaluated by God. And it's not just the people out there who we think really deserve it. He says, look, it's coming for us. And here's the crazy thing that happens in the world we live in. Uh, We do series on like Revelation and God's judgment. And we look at how jacked up and messed up the world is right now. We think, that's right. We need God's judgment to come because God's angry with the sin out there. You might want to be careful about that. Because over and over again in both what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament, God says judgment's coming. But you know who it's starting with? Not the world out there. He's like, if I'm coming, I'm coming for you first. I'm coming for my church first. Back then he says the Jew first, also the Gentile, because the Jews were at that point God's church, God's chosen people. Today that's been expanded to the church of Jesus. He says when judgment comes... You may not want to be all excited about God's judgment coming and the end of the world and Jesus coming back someday. 
Because you know what he's starting with? You and me, pal. Maybe we should be a little more careful hoping that God's judgment comes soon. Um, and he's telling us here, he keeps it real simple here. Good people get rewarded for the good things. Bad people get punished for the bad things. Now, some of you are hearing that, and you've gone to church for a while. You've been to Bible studies. You're here to even me get up and say, hey, man, we don't get right with God by what we do. It's because of Jesus. And so is Paul here saying, if, as long as you're good, you're good? And the answer to that question would be, yep, and nope, yes and no. Paul's going to later on in the book of Romans here, remember, he's arguing like a lawyer here. Not like a pastor. He's making a case as a, making a legal case here. Later on, Paul's going to make the case in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, and other places in the book of Romans, he says this. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law, the Bible just simply shows us how sinful we are. So he says, look, you can have the law. You can memorize the law. You can meditate on it. You can try your best. It's all that does for you is you, it's a mirror to you. Go, look, <laughs> did it again. Fell short again. Nobody's good enough. We all fall short. What he's doing right now, he is simply showing us that you don't get a free pass from God's judgment just because you're an insider. Back in those days, because you were a Jew and you had done all the religious rites and rituals and you went, went to temple and synagogue, he would tell us today, look right at me, in America today, sometimes people think they're Christians because, oh, I was born into a Christian family. America is one nation. We're, we're kind of a Christian nation. We think, well, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm a Christian. You know, no, you're not. He's making the case right now that no one gets a free pass because you're not as bad as the really bad people. How many have ever watched the show Survivor on TV? A few of you? Uh, how long has it been on now? 27 years, I think? I don't know. Lots of times. And for those of you who haven't watched it, let me quickly tell you what it is. People go to this island and... They are competing for the last one to survive wins a million dollars. And every episode, they have a thing called tribal council called Judgment Day. And somebody gets voted off the island and, and they're expelled. They get judged and they don't get to stay there. But if, I don't know when they started doing this, what season it was, but somewhere in there, they had a thing where around the island were hidden what's called little idols called immunity idols. Which meant if you got the immunity idol, when you got the judgment day, you were good because you had the immunity idol. R write this down here. Don't imagine you have privileged immunity just because you're a Christian or call yourself a Christian. There's no privileged immunity just because you're an insider because you showed, at ch showed up at church on a Sunday. Or you could, some of you could help us out by showing up at church on Saturday once in a while so we can create a few more spaces in here. Stuff like that. You'd be the really good Christians if you did that for us. No. <laughs> But uh, you, don't get, you don't get a free pass. He says God's judgment's coming for everybody. Uh, he goes on, he, looking back at verse 4. I love this verse. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? He says, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's meant to turn you around. And the beautiful part about this is the grace of God is amazing. His love is beautiful and amazing. It's simple acts of kindness, the way that he's just generous 
and good to us over and over again. He's trying to get our attention to go, look, I love you. I care about you. Uh, and this would be good, a good word for us today when it comes to how we then respond to a world where there's conflict and difficulty and we're trying to reach our neighbors and coworkers and friends and even our enemies with the good news of Jesus, kindness is a good idea. Actually, not even being kind, just not being a jerk might work because everybody else is a jerk right now. If you just got to neutral, we'd probably be <laughs> ahead. Um, and there's great stories out there all the time. Guys, what happens here every weekend? People show up in simple acts of kindness to say hey to you in the plaza to get coffee and water out there. We have people that bought uh, great little sugar-free custom creamers for you out there if you wanted that. Simple acts of kindness like that. Uh, Beth Sylvester, one of our pastors here, was telling me, uh, sent this story over on Instagram. Uh, great illustration of this. This guy, he's the owner of a, he's an Iranian guy in America, owns a restaurant, not a Christian, I'm not sure he's Muslim or anything, just not anything, but he had a restaurant that was down the street from a Baptist church in the community. And after church, he said one Sunday, it was his son telling the story about his dad. After church, he said this one Sunday, it was weird. We, we got there, we, we were in there, and during, it was during the COVID thing where you couldn't get help, but people were coming to restaurants and like, they, they were slammed. And it was difficult because everybody's mad and angry because restaurants are finally open again, but they don't have enough help yet. And so the people from that church that were there got up and started busting tables. Just taking stuff back kitchen, cleaning up, taking out the trash, doing simple things like that. He said it was funny, the worship pastor at the church, uh, it's a very traditional church. Uh, they didn't have a band and all that. They had more choirs and stuff. Invited, he said, invited my dad, because he, he, he said he knew that he, my dad liked to sing. Invited him to come, just come to our choir practice and kind of come hang out with us there. And you watch this guy talking about this, going, man, it was crazy. These Christians showed up there. A simple little thing like clearing off the table, taking out some trash, made a profound difference in my dad's life. And you can hear this young man now, he's a, a, a fully grown man now, as a kid watching that going, that was just what it did for him. Simple acts of kindness. Guys, I'm telling you right now, you'll be amazed the simple things you could do for people to show God's love in a small way, no strings attached. Now, here's the deal. Life is too short and hell's too hot for random acts of kindness. Don't be random about it. Connected us for people. So when you do something kind and nice, if they ask what, what this is for, we'll just tell them, like, I, I'm a Christian, just trying to show people God's love in a simple, small way, what, you know, whatever. Connect the dots for them. Simple things like that. When you go to restaurants, uh, tip obscenely at restaurants. I know the prices are obscene right now. Match, be crazy with your tip and then leave one of our church little connection cards there or a little note about there and just tell them you love, that you're praying for them and that kind of thing. You'll be amazed simple acts of kindness can make a profound difference in somebody's life. Now, that's actually not the point Paul is making here, though. It's true and it's taught all over the Bible. What he's talking about here is not that God's kindness by being nice and generous to us. What he's talking about here is, is this. How many of you parents have told your children to do something and then they didn't do it? And then you said, one more time. And then they didn't do it. But you love them and you didn't want to ground them because it's prom or it's something. Okay, one more time. And then one more time, give them a chance. And one, God is the ultimate dysfunctional parent. 
because he does this over and over again. He says, one more time, one more time, one more time, one more time. And you know what happens when he says, keep saying one more time? You know what you start to think? Think about kids. Some of your kids are here. When your parent keeps saying one more time, what do you think? They don't mean it. They'll scream and yell and throw a fit. They don't mean it. But God does this all the time. And the reason he's doing this is giving us a chance to repent because he's not a God of anger. There's, there's a, the verses that you'll look up this week, uh, we call intersect. It's follow-up questions here. This is our God is slow to anger, abounding in love. If God was a God of anger and wrath, that was his primary thing, we'd have been done 10, sec- 10 minutes ago, 10,000 years ago. We'd have been a vapor speck floating through the cosmos. And yet God is slow and patient and kind with us over and over again. He's saying, look, I'm doing this. But the tricky part with this, it's the, again, it's the indictment, not just on the jacked up world out there, but us in here. I say, I keep giving you a chance after chance after chance. And you keep messing up. And I'm gracious and kind to you. Here's, here's the thing to write down today. Don't confuse God's patience and mercy with his approval. We'll start to think, well, I'm getting away with it. And nobody's... Nobody's busting me for this. I know you Christians say if I do wrong and this bad stuff's going to happen to me. Great stuff's happened to me. God's going, look, I'm trying to, I don't want to wipe you out. I don't want to bring wrath and judgment down on you. But because we get away with it over and over and over again, it keeps making it, we, we keep making a mess out of our life and we keep getting away with it. God says, hey, don't mistake my patience and mercy for my approval. And then what Grant just read for us. When the Gentiles sin, verse 12 now, they'll be destroyed even though they never had God's written law. What he's saying there is the Gentiles never had the Bible. They had their own dog. They didn't have God's revealed word. They didn't have that. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. Here's an important key verse in here. For merely listening to the law, merely listening to the Bible, doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the Bible, the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they, underline that in your Bible, mark it in your Bible, and they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. A famous Russian writer years ago had this little line. Uh, Dostoevsky says this. It's be up here on the screen. If there is no God, everything is permissible. If there is no God, then do what you want. Because you know what morality is? Whatever I feel like, whatever we collectively feel like, and we can just, it's a moving thing. We've seen this in history, right? All kinds of things were justified because you, when you take God out of the equation, then everything is permissible. And yet... The most godless, awful people on the planet today can't live like this. You know how I know? If they have kids, and those kids are messing up at a restaurant and just being disrespectful and evil and smart off their parent, and you walk up to that child and you go and smack him across the face like that, what's that person going to do to you? They're going to say, that ain't right. Who says it's not right? Well, you're an atheist. There's no rules. There's no, I can do whatever I want, right? Just because... Just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. We can't even live that way. We, we look at the world out there and they say things that are, are, aren't right. And, and the truth is this. He says that sometimes people who aren't Christians are better Christians than a lot of you Christians are. 
because they instinctively obey it. Here's a great little line. They don't have the Bible in their hands, but God's writing it in our hearts. There's this moral code embedded into us. Now, you can't completely trust it because our hearts are jacked up by sin, and so sometimes we need, well, sometimes, all the time we need the Holy Spirit to move into our lives to reorient us back to true north so we're not just kind of following the whims of what we feel and think and believe at any given moment. Yeah. We have it in our founding documents, this idea that there is some things that are just right and wrong. We hold these truths to be, four of you paid attention in history, self-evident. The idea of self-evident is you don't need a Bible to tell you these things are true. We just kind of know it. And the reason we know it is because God has implanted this in our hearts. And we know it by looking at the world out there, by saying like some things are right and wrong when you see it in the world. Because we also know it by just our own selves, our own internal conscience. Our conscience either gives us, either accuses us or approves us. Either gives us a thumbs down or a thumbs up. Either accuses or approves us. Uh, we feel that we, what we did was a right, good thing. We feel good about it. Or we do something do, stupid and wrong and it's, we know it's a bad thing. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote all kinds of great books that you ought to take some time and read. Uh, was an atheist, was a professor of, of literature at a leading uh, university in England and was an atheist. And not some awful, crazy, awful atheist where he just was trying to sin like crazy and that kind of stuff. Just didn't believe in God. And the reason he said he didn't believe in God was because he saw all the evil in the world out there. He has this great quote. It says this way. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You know what it was? Something inside me that says something's just right and wrong. If there is no, don't put the next one up yet. If there is no God, then it's just herd instinct. It's whatever the herd wants to do, whatever they think is right. Or it's the Darwinian theory of survival of the fittest. So I can do whatever I want to do, and I'm strong and you're weak, and that's just the way it works. Uh, and yet, we, nobody can live like that. As much as they want to say that and espouse that, nobody lives that way. Lewis goes on to say, if no set of moral ideas were truer or better than any other, there would be no sense in preferring civilized morality to savage morality or Christian morality to Nazi morality. There's a God and there's a conscience inside of us. And so one of the things that kind of comes out of this is, write it down here, don't dismiss the moral code that we're all born with. You're all born with the moral code inside of you. Now the tricky part, he says, is over and over again, we dismiss it. We go the other way, and yet we just know in our hearts there's this instinctive thing that goes, wait, that was, I don't care if you're a Christian or not, that was just dumb and wrong. And you just kind of instinctively just know it. And he goes on to say, look in verse 13, merely listening to the Bible, to the law, doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. So write these three things down here real quick. It's obeying, not just listening. It's obeying, not just coming to church and listening to the Bible or reading the Bible on your own. It's, it's obeying, not just listening. It's obeying, not just agreeing with it. It's not even just agreeing with thinking, that's right, that's true. It's not just listening. It's not just agreeing. And it's obeying, not just committing to it. 
It's not just sitting here hearing a great message sometime at a weekend service or something like that and go, yeah, that's right, I need to change and do some things. That's right. I've heard it. I agree with it. I'm going I'm to do something about that. Yeah, I'm going to do that, God. He said, bottom line, well, Jesus told a story one time. We're going to illustrate it today. How many of you in here today have more than one child? Okay. I need, I need two names of, 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 of children in your family. Joshua and, and Annabelle. Joshua and Annabelle. So Joshua and Annabelle, give me our illustration. You can use your own kids if you want to in this. Joshua and Annabelle. So Kaylee comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, I want you to clean the room. I want you to take out the trash. I want you to go out and vacuum the floor of mommy's car because you spilled a bunch of french fries in there. I want you to get them all cleaned up. And Joshua says, okay, mommy, I'll do that. I'd be happy to do that for you today. Who's the other child? Annabelle? Annabelle. She goes to Annabelle. Annabelle, I want you to clean your room. I want you to uh, uh, take the trash out in the, in the garage. And I want you to take the clothes and fold the socks up and put them away in your drawer. I don't want to do that, mommy. You're so mean. That's stupid. I can't believe you make me do all this work around here. I'm going to do whatever. She goes, okay, but don't, you have to do it. She gets home a couple hours later after running errands and comes back in. Josh's room, still a mess. Nothing got cleaned up. Annabelle, on the other hand, did everything her mom said. She, she listened to it. She didn't agree with it, and she didn't commit to it, but she, but she, she did what it said. Good news for some of you today that think this is stupid and dumb and wrong. You can be a great Christian. Because it doesn't matter if you listen to it. You don't even have to like it or agree with it or even make, have, some, have something where you're just going to feel something in your soul and you're going to go, yeah, I commit to that. All God cares about is what happens out there when you leave here? Are you just following through with what I'm telling you to do? And then we get a line here about this idea of judgment when God's going to evaluate everybody someday. He says, this is the message I proclaim. Look at verse 16. This is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's, what's that next word there? Secret life. God will judge everyone's secret life. In other words, God is not just judging uh, what everybody can see. God's not going to judge just by appearances. There's a story in the, uh, in the book of Samuel where it's time for Samuel to pick the next king of Israel. And Jesse brings out, he goes to Jesse's home down in Bethlehem. And Beth, Jesse brings out his kids and brings out his oldest sons. He has a bunch of kids out there. And he sees the first one come out and goes, oh, dang. That guy is leadership material. Just look at him. I mean, he, he just looks like a king. He talks like a king. He, that's him. And God speaks to Samuel and says, hey, don't. Don't judge by appearance. He says, man judges by the outward appearance. He says, God looks at the heart. And he says, I see nobody here in this lineup right now. This punk little 14-year-old kid out in the field with the sheep right now. That's the one I want. Because God looked at his heart. That was King David that eventually became the king of Israel. The good news is this. Is that there will be no possibility of a miscarriage of justice on the last day. The God's seeing everything. You think you're getting away with stuff? <laughs> you might be getting away with it. God sees it all. And when he all means all, like all of it all. Down to everything. Write this down. 
Don't imagine that you or anyone else is getting away with anything. God's just telling you, I'm not just looking at your outward appearance. You can fool a lot of people. You can, you can make everything can look good. And, and here's what's, what's so good about this. What's so good about it is, is this. Is in, in one sense, it's a sense of like, oh, dang, I can't be a hypocrite. Because some of us can be, get really good at looking like a Christian, talking like a Christian, behaving like a Christian. Everybody go, oh, they're a Christian. They, they see all the outward signs of it. And God goes, yeah, but I see the shenanigans and the nastiness going on in your life. You're just playing a game, pal. He says, don't, so don't think somehow you're getting away with that. But here's the best news of all this. Um, anybody here like me, I'm going to be 62 years old in about a month. I know, it's crazy. I thought I'd be a better Christian by now. I've been a Christian for most of my life. I thought I'd be better at this by now. Um, you can ask my wife Denise about this. Yesterday, last two days, I've been cleaning the rain gutters on our home because they've never been cleaned. Up on a ladder with the hose and all that. I'm acting like a preschool child. I'm so angry because the hose got kinked or because she didn't turn it on full blast and I'm, I'm a stupid for your wife, whatever. It's, it's, I'm ridiculous out there. And then I'm sitting there thinking, and I got to get up and leave here, go take a shower, get ready, and go speak at a church tonight up on that stage. What a moron. Honestly, but here's the good news that God's going to judge my secret life because he knows they're not done yet and you're not done yet. And if you judge yourself today too harshly, recognize that God goes, Look, I know I see your heart. If your heart is right with me, that's ultimately what I care about and there's still some more work to do. There's still some more things that we got to get after. So just breathe a little bit. Don't let yourself off the hook and just go, well, God, just grace, I can just do what I want. No, no. It's a sense of, God, God work on me, but don't be too harsh on yourself either. Because God's going to come and judge your secret life. We're going to sing about that right now. Uh, sing some great songs about God judging our lives. And, and not judging our lives based on, on the hypocrisy of my life. That God's going to judge my life based on the secret part of my soul that's been made right with God because of what Jesus did for me. Not because of what I did for me. Um, some of you today are not yet Christians. Maybe you're a good religious person. Maybe you showed up at church. Maybe somebody begged you or bribed you to come here. And it's time for you to take that step of faith. That God's kindness, look at me, look at me. Don't look at the band, right here. God's kindness, that maybe over and over and over again, you have kind of turned your back on God by, by your behavior. I mean, God, ah, I don't want to do that stuff. Maybe today's the day to go. It's time to step over in faith and say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to turn from that and surrender my life to you. It would be a beautiful day for that to happen for you today right here on the first weekend in February of 2024. On the connection card that Grant had you fill out just a couple minutes ago, jot us a note about that. We'd love to talk to you about what that means, what it means to follow Jesus and what those first steps of faith are. One of them is getting baptized. Uh, we have people getting baptized all the time here. If you've ever been baptized as a Christian, God's kindness. Some of you have been Christians a long time. You're going, well, I don't know. I feel a little weird up there. God's going, pal, I died on a cross to save you from your sin. Get in the water. Go public with that. Jot us on the connection card about that as well. You may be here today and you need stuff. You have stuff going on in your life. Significant issues with just challenging stuff going on. Maybe it's, you know, there's some, that sin thing that keeps 
messing you up, you keep tripping over it. And in some ways, sometimes you keep, you keep intentionally walking over there again. God's going, what are you doing? Maybe it's time to go, God, it's time to get clear about that. Get clean about that. Go talk to somebody about that. God, I just need to confess this. Or maybe you got stuff going on in your life where it's sickness, financial stuff, mental health stuff, just trouble. You're just trouble in your heart and soul today. Our prayer team is at the back of the house. They would love to pray with you about that particular thing today. And then in the four corners of the room, we have what the Bible calls communion or the Lord's Supper, Eucharist for those of you that are Catholics. It's, the, it's bread and juice. And Jesus, on the night before he was uh, betrayed and then later on that, that day and next night crucified, he was in an upper room. And in that upper room, they were celebrating what they've been celebrating for, gosh, well over like 1,500 years. They've been celebrating this, this idea of Passover. This, this bread that symbolized that, hey, you had to have unleavened bread. It didn't raise up to remember the time that you were led out of slavery by God, led out of slavery into your promised land. He said, and there was wine at that table too. And they would have different times when he would take that wine and they would celebrate different parts of how God delivered them in that first covenant from slavery in Egypt. And in the middle of that meal, Jesus stops and says, the universe is about to change tonight. Tonight it's going to change. This bread, no longer symbolic of the covenant back there when I led you out of Egypt. This wine, no longer symbolic of what happened back there when you put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts, now symbolic of my body and my blood that will not have to be offered over and over again, year after year. He says, I want you to do this, Jesus says, to remember me. Because if we get too focused on ourselves, we'll just go, I can't do it, I suck, I'm terrible, whatever. He goes, forget about yourself. You are not the point. Jesus is the point. And the more you get yourself, your mind and heart and soul wrapped around the amazing grace of God, then, man, everything changes for you. It'll transform your heart and soul. And that's why every week we invite you as followers of Christ to come and receive communion, to remember not your sin record, not even your hypocrisy and your judgmentalism. You just come to Jesus and go, I come here with dirty hands and a messed up life to receive once more again a symbol of your grace and your mercy. And so God, today, I'm just stunned. I'm stunned that it's not the threats and the judgment that leads me and leads us to repentance. It's your kindness. Your kindness over and over and over again. And so today, we just love you and we're celebrating you right here, right now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.